Thank you for choosing to listen to this message. At Coastal, we believe in changing and enriching lives through the power of the Word. We pray that this message would be a blessing to you. Today is a good day. Awesome. Let me just get ready here. While, we get, while I get ready, uh, let's just say a quick prayer. Father, we thank you, Lord, for this morning. We thank you for the opportunity just to celebrate uh, your risen kingship, Lord. And I just pray that this morning you would begin to resurrect Lord, that you'd begin to resurrect dreams that have died. <clears throat> Lord, that you begin to resurrect marriages that have seemingly died. I pray that you would just begin to resurrect those who are spiritually not alive right now, Lord. And Father, I just pray that you'd have your way this morning as we celebrate you and the risen King in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Listen, guys, it's, a, it's an honor to talk to you about the resurrection this morning. You know, there's enough fear and anxiety going on right now. There's enough. We don't need any more. We don't need any more bad news. We've got enough bad news that's bombarding us every day, right? Enough to make a grown man cry. And so we're tired of hearing bad news. So I get the opportunity this morning to really share with you and you get to celebrate with us the great news of Jesus rising from the dead. Amen? Yes, come on. So I'm super excited this morning. I believe that God is up to something big, and, and maybe you're like me, and you look out at the world, and you're like, what in the world is going on? We have lost our minds. Maybe you're thinking that with me, but I believe that we are in a time where God is setting the stage for something radical to happen. I believe that God is up to something big, and we're going to see him move in ways like we've never seen him move before. So Today is a, daily, a day of celebration. Today is a day of celebration because we get to celebrate the risen king. Amen. The enemy did not have the final word. Jesus had the final word when he kicked open that grave and came out victorious, and we came out with him victoriously as well. Come on. Thank you so much if you're joining us for the first time and you've never been here before. I do want to say thank you for coming and celebrating Easter with us. I say that because I want to invite you out next week because we're going to be talking about the goodness of God. And when you encounter the goodness of God, there's something that transforms your life. We've been going through the Bible and we've been taking characters out of the Bible and we've been looking to see the goodness of God in those characters and how they encountered the goodness of God and it literally transformed their lives. So I would like to encourage you guys to come out next week and join us as we continue our study and our theme this year on the goodness of God. How many of you know that we don't serve an angry God? Like, like God is not up in heaven and every time, you know, we say the wrong thing or we do the wrong thing, he's, he's got this, you know, really short temper and he grabs some lightning bolts and he tosses them down only to hit us because he's really upset. That's not the God we serve. We serve a good God. And it, the, the Bible says that he is slow to anger. And Luke does a really good job when Luke begins to articulate the heart of God in the beginning of, of the book of Luke by saying that his heart is goodwill and peace towards men. That's God's heart for you. God is not this angry, short-tempered God in heaven ready to smash you the moment you make a mistake. That's not the God we serve. And so if you would, grab your Bibles with me and turn over to Luke chapter 24. If you didn't bring your Bibles, that's okay. You can read along on the screens. <clears throat> but Luke chapter 24 and verses 1 through 12, that's where we're going to be this morning. Luke says, 
starting in verse 1. But very early on Sunday morning, the women went to the tomb, taking the spices they had prepared. They found that the stone had been rolled away from the entrance, and so they went in. But they didn't find the body of the Lord Jesus as they stood there, puzzled. Two men suddenly appeared to them, clothed in dazzling robes. The women were terrified and bowed with their faces to the ground. Then the men asked, why are you looking among the dead for someone who is alive? He isn't here. He is risen from the dead. Remember what he told you back in Galilee, that the son of man must be betrayed in the hands of sinful men and be crucified and that he would rise again on the third day. Then they remembered that he, had, that he had said this. So they rushed back from the tomb to tell the 11 disciples and everyone else what had happened. And it was Mary Magdalene, Joanna, Mary the mother of Jesus, and several other women who told the apostles what had happened. But the story sounded like nonsense to the men. So they didn't believe it. However, Peter jumped up and he ran to the tomb to look. And stooping in, he peered in and he saw the empty linen wrappings. Then he went home again, wondering what had happened. Wow. There was, a, there was a man and his wife who decided to take a vacation over to the Holy Land. And uh, reluctantly, the uh, husband decided to give in to his wife and allow the uh, mother-in-law to come along. Uh, sorry, mother-in-laws, they just must not have a mother-in-law like I have. But anyways, um, so, so the mother-in-law and the wife and the husband, they take off, they go to the Holy Land, they're enjoying themselves. I mean, they're, they're seeing where Jesus walks, seeing where Jesus did miracles. And, and unfortunately, something happens, the mother-in-law dies. And so they're like, what are we going to do? We don't know. And so there's a guy that's helping him out. And he says, okay, here, I've, I've got a plan. There's a couple of different options you have. Either one, we can take your mother's body and we can actually ship it back home, but that's going to cost you $5,000. However, we can actually bury her here in the Holy Land for $150. And the guy says, well, let me think about it for a second. <laughs> And so he says, you know what? No, no, no. I, I'm, we're just going to go ahead and ship her back home. We're going to pay the $5,000. And the guy's like, I, I don't understand. $5,000. Why wouldn't you just pay the $150 and have her buried right here in the Holy Land? And the guy says, well, I heard a story about a man about 2,000 years ago that died and rose again three days later. I'm not taking chances. <laughs> Sorry, mother-in-laws. <laughs> We're here this morning to talk about Jesus. The life of Jesus is the most amazing, epic, and unparalleled life in the history of the world. No one has left the impact or legacy that Jesus has left. He lived nearly 2,000 years ago. He came from a pretty poor family. His parents were likely teenagers. He never traveled more than a few hundred miles from his home. His resume really wasn't that attractive. He never held a political office. And he never owned much wealth. Yet in his wake, we have Christianity, the largest movement of any kind in the history of the world. Amen. 
More songs have been sung to him, more paintings painted of him, more books written about him than anyone who has ever lived in the history of the world. We literally measure time by Jesus's life, BC before Christ and AD, the Latin in the year, this is the year of our Lord, in the year of our Lord. We literally set time by his life and legacy. And the biggest two holidays that we celebrate are Christmas, the birth of Jesus, and Easter, the resurrection of Jesus. You know, there's many world religions, but there's only one which has the founder stating that he is the only God. There's, there's no other major world religions that have a founder declaring themselves to be the only God. And Jesus makes no bones about it. In fact, he openly and repeatedly, and as a result, he was harassed for it. He was ultimately arrested, tried, and sentenced to death. And the reason that Jesus was killed on the cross was because that he was claiming to be God. But the good news is that the story doesn't end in Luke chapter 23. The story ends in Luke chapter 24. Thank God, because the story ends with Jesus victoriously rising up out of that grave, resurrected, King of kings, Lord of lords. And it's an awesome story. And Jesus was killed on a Friday, or some might debate that it was a Thursday, but either way, he was killed, and he was placed in a tomb. His body was placed in a tomb, and the tomb was literally sealed, and there were Roman guards that were put outside the tomb to make sure that nothing fishy was going to happen to the body of Jesus. They had heard that Jesus declared he was going to be, he was going to raise from the dead in three days, and so they thought, you know what? You know what's going to happen is these Christ followers, these people that love Jesus, they're going to come steal his body and manipulate and, and everybody around here thinking that he actually rose from the dead. And so what we're going to do is we're going to place a couple of guards, Roman guards out there to make sure that it doesn't happen. Or so they thought. (laughs) This would have been extremely hard for uh, uh, several men to open the grave. It was sealed. It was this huge circular type rock that was rolled over this entrance into the tomb and into this like little ridge type place. It would have been extremely hard for several men to have rolled this away. And so it kind of blows my mind to think about these women who are going to come to the grave and somehow open this thing. I mean, what were they thinking? So, so the first people to find out about Jesus coming back to life were these women. And these women had been faithful to him. I love it. I love it. They were the first to find out about the resurrection of Jesus because of their devotion to him. So after his death and after the Sabbath day, when they were able to, they went out and they got some spices and they were going to come to the tomb of Jesus and prepare his body, a proper burial for Jesus because they loved him and were devoted to him. And so I don't have any idea what they thought as they were rolling up to the grave and thinking, uh, and, and, somehow thinking they were going to move this stone. I have no idea. But isn't that what devotion and love does? Like, you don't know how it's going to happen, but we're going to make it happen. We don't know how we're going to get this this big rock rolled away, but we're going to get this big rock rolled away, and we're going to give Jesus a proper burial because he deserves it because we love him and we are devoted to him. They walked and they talked with Jesus. He was their hero. He was their leader. He was their friend. And they, they went not expecting Jesus to be alive. They weren't expecting Jesus to be alive. And that kind of blows my mind because that's all Jesus talked about. But, but, but they missed it. They didn't expect Jesus to be alive. However, they simply went out of devotion and love to give Jesus a proper burial. They weren't looking for something in return. They weren't expecting something from Jesus that morning. <clears throat> 
And yet it was in that place that they got the privilege of being the first to see the resurrected Jesus. Their greatest miracle came from a place of love and devotion. Wow. You know, we serve a God where we can go to him and we can, we can say, God, I need your help. This is, this is one of those moments, God. I need you to step in. I, like now, like God, you're a little late. Come, please. I mean, and God is okay with that. He loves to hear your prayers. He loves to answer those prayers. I mean, the Psalms are full of songs where David and others would cry out and, and declare their needs to God in times of help. But isn't it beautiful when you can just simply go to God to be with him? God, I'm not asking you anything today other than to say, you're beautiful. Thank you for everything that you've done. And that was the heart of these women as they went to the tomb. They went out of devotion. They went out of love. They weren't expecting anything from Jesus. And as they approached, they didn't see the body of Jesus. No, they saw two men in clothes that gleamed like lightning, it says. And this was an obvious reference to angels. If you read Matthew, Mark, and John's account, you'll see that these men were actually angels. And these men reminded them of the words that Jesus spoke about his death and his resurrection. And so they take off and they're going to tell the apostles and the others what they had just witnessed. And when you know it, the apostles didn't believe it. And, and the question I want to ask you this morning, the question that I, I just want to really grapple with this morning is, what is the big deal about Easter? I mean, why is it such a big deal to Christians? And I've really got three different reasons why I believe that Easter is a huge deal, not just a big deal. Starting, in, starting with the, the first point, number one, Easter brings us forgiveness. Easter brings us forgiveness. Now, think about this. When, when you read the story of Easter, you know, we'd like to think that it's filled with tremendous excitement and uncontrolled joy. Kind of like this morning, like, yeah! You know, you're just like praising Jesus because he rose from the dead. But that's not how this story went down. In verse 4 of chapter uh, 24, it says, the women stood there and they were puzzled, confused. What, what's going on? In verse 5, it says, the women were terrified. In verse 11, it says, but the story sounded like nonsense to the men, so they didn't believe it. In verse 12, it says, Peter jumped up and ran to the tomb to look, stooping in, he peered, and he saw the, the empty linen wrappings. And when he went home again, <clears throat> wondering, which literally means he's deeply questioned what has happened. And then it goes on in verse 37 of chapter 24, the whole group, this large crowd sees Jesus, the risen Jesus, and they were startled and they were frightened thinking they were seeing a ghost. Now think about it for a second. Three days earlier, not only were their dreams and hopes buried in the garden tomb along with their best friends, but so were their failures. So was their unreliability. And so was their faithlessness towards Jesus. The night before Jesus was taken away and nailed to a cross and killed for their sins, what were the disciples doing? They were arguing. They were arguing about who is the greatest. And I could picture it there in the upper room. They're like, no, 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 it's me. You know, you know, it's, I don't know why you kid yourself. You know, it's me. Jesus, tell them who's the greatest right? They're arguing who is the greatest among them. And then after one of their own leaves to portray Jesus, which is Judas, 
right? Jesus looks at all of them and he says, hey, you guys are going to desert me. You're going to leave me. And of course, it's Peter that jumps up and he's like, there's no way I'm going to leave you, Jesus. You know me. I got your back. We're, 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 we're like this. There's no way I'm leaving you, Jesus. And then when the others see uh, Peter, you know, piping up, they're like, no, 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 no. <laughs> okay, Peter. Yeah, we're not leaving you either, Jesus. We are going to stand by your side through thick and through thin. We are here for you, Jesus. And that same night, Jesus asked them to pray with him in his agony. And what do they do? They fall asleep. They fall asleep. And then when they wake up after their stretches and their yawns, they see Roman soldiers around them. And so what do they do? They run. They get the heck out of there. Just like Jesus said, you would desert me. And so the night before the death of Jesus, a night that they could have proven their loyalty and love for the one who loved them so much, what did they do? Well, they argued and they boasted and they fell asleep and they all ran away so far that except for one of them was nowhere to be seen at the foot of the cross the next morning. And so it's no wonder they're afraid. They were found out. They were exposed. The one who died for them knew exactly how they had completely and utterly forsaken him. And now he was back to confront them. What are we going to do? He's back. And maybe you can understand just how they felt. And maybe you're saying to yourself, if Jesus were to return today, I would probably be scared. You know, I've been following Jesus for years. I gave my life to him a long time ago, but, but I've turned my back on him quite a bit. There, there's moments where I was asleep and I should have been praying. There's times where I should have been following Jesus, but I was running from Jesus. And I want to encourage you this morning because the same word that he gives to his disciples, I believe that he's given to you and me. And this is what he says in Luke chapter 24, verses 45 through 47. It says, then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said, yes, it was written long ago that the Messiah would suffer and die and rise from the dead on the third day. It was also written that this message would be proclaimed in the authority of his name to all the nations beginning in Jerusalem. What was the message? There is forgiveness of sins for all who repent. Jesus could have come and said, well, I can't, I told you guys, I told you who's the greatest. I'll tell you who the greatest is. It's not you. I can't believe you left me. I mean, Jesus could have gone that direction, but he didn't go that direction. All he said was, this is the message I have for you guys. There is forgiveness of sins I forgive you. The reason I came was because of your faithlessness. I didn't come because of your faithfulness. I came because of your faithlessness. Repent. Change your mind. I'm not the guy that's going to come down and condemn you. I'm not the guy that's going to leave you and forsake you. That's not who I am. Repent. Change your mind. Know that I came to die for your sins and to bring you forgiveness. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That's the good news of the resurrection of Jesus. He came to forgive us. And so the resurrection brings us forgiveness, but it also brings us power. The resurrection brings us power. In Philippians chapter three, verses 10 through 11, it says, Paul says this, he says, I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. 
Now think about it. Think, think about the tomb where, where the body of Jesus was, was laid. You know, it must have been dark. It must have been really cold. And Roman soldiers stood out just to make sure nothing, was fish, nothing fishy would go on. But on resurrection morning, the mighty, unmatchable, unimaginable, immeasurable power of God showed up in that dark room and brought light and filled it with the warmth of life. Wow. And that same power that rose Jesus up from the dead, Romans says that same spirit lives inside of us as Christians. And it's the power that defeats enemies. It changes circumstances. It heals sick bodies and enables us to stand strong when the waves of life try to knock us down. It enables us to be the men and the women that God has called us to be. As believers, we don't have to live weak, dead, pathetic, I'm just trying to survive lives. It's not easy life. Don't, don't get me wrong. I, I definitely know that it's not an easy life. Some of us have gone through some pretty horrific things, but it's life to the fullest is what Jesus gives us. And by the power of the resurrection in us, he can resurrect dreams. He can resurrect hopes. He can resurrect your marriage. He can resurrect those relationships. God is in it for you. God didn't call us to a life to be bullied around by everything going on around us. We were called and empowered to live the resurrected life. We have not called to, to be safe. We haven't been called to be safe. We've been called to be dangerous. We're not called to assimilate or to acclimate. We've been called to infiltrate this world with the pure, unadulterated love of Christ. Tameness and sameness, it's not, it shouldn't be a part of the church. That's not what we're here for. As Christians, we march to the beat of a different drum. And the hope in the heart of the resurrection is that as followers of Christ, we can align our heart with his heart and begin to build back what the enemy has tried to destroy. And let me give you some good news, church. What did Jesus say? The gates of hell would not prevail. And when he kicked open that tomb and he came out victoriously, those words became very, very, very true. The gates of hell will not prevail. And I want to encourage you, church, the gates of hell will not prevail in your life. Yeah. It will not prevail in your marriage. Yeah. In the midst of uncertainty, isolation, loss, and huge changes in our culture, Jesus is still on his throne, building up, encouraging, healing, protecting, strengthening, providing, and showing love to a world that is literally starving for it. And listen, I believe Jesus is doing a new thing. And I believe by the grace of God, we here at Coastal Family and other churches around get to experience what Jesus is doing. And so the, the, the resurrection brings forgiveness. It brings us power, the power that we need to live the life that God has called us to live, that victorious life. But it also brings victory over death. Thank you, Jesus. Yes. Church, death does not have the final word. Christ does. And we have victory in Christ. Now hear me out on this. The, the cross is extremely important. But it, it wouldn't be an overstatement to say that everything hinges on the resurrection. In fact, Paul says that in 1 Corinthians 15. You remember? He's like, hey, if it wasn't for the resurrection, I mean, our, our, our faith would be futile. It'd be nothing. Jesus' power over death came alive because of the resurrection. 
And what Jesus did on his cross was extremely important. It was on the cross that he paid for the debt of our sins, if not for the perfect sinless lamb of God, willingly giving himself up as a sacrifice on the altar of Calvary, sin and death would still have power over us. But the cross isn't the end of the story, nor the greatest moment of triumph. If you really think about it, the cross of Christ was the darkest moment in history. Why? Because the Son of God had to suffer and die a horrible death. The penalty of sin that was laid out in Genesis that was talked about was death. And so had Jesus just died on the cross, it would essentially prove that sin and death still had dominion in this world because death would have won. But the resurrection of Jesus means that the power of sin and the power of death had been destroyed and the debt of sin completely paid for. That's the miracle of the resurrection. That's the power of Christ on full display. And it's for this reason that we, along with Paul, can declare these words in 1 Corinthians 15. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? Wow. Wow. Do you remember when Jesus had the encounter with Martha and Mary after Lazarus died? We've alluded to it a couple of times these past few weeks. It's a radical story where Martha and Mary actually send word to Jesus, who's quite a distance away, and that, that Lazarus is going to die, that he's sick, and he's not going to make it. And, and Jesus is like, oh, okay. And he continues on about his business, like, what the heck? Like, what, what, Jesus, come on, please. And, and, he, and he shows up finally to Martha and Mary and where Lazarus is, but he's about four days late. I mean, this guy has died and he's actually been buried for four days. And it says that Martha came to him and was weeping, and then Mary came to him and he was weeping. And Jesus looked at Martha and Mary as they were weeping, and it says that he becomes in, in angry. Like he's angry inside is the Greek word. Literally means like a, a horse snarling out of anger or a bull, you know, when they, they do their thing to their leg and they're snarling. It, it Literally, that's the word that's used when it says when Jesus looks at Martha, excuse me, Martha and Mary as they're crying. And he's not angry that they're crying. He's angry at death. And he goes and he raises Lazarus up from the dead to show them that he is the resurrection and the life. And then he doesn't stop there. He's so angry at it that he's willing to give everything to die the death that you and I should have died. And then to go to the grave and victoriously come out to prove that he is the victor over death. That is the Jesus we serve. <clears throat> At this very hour, the cremated body of Siddhartha Gautama, known as Buddha, lives in a grave at the foot of the Himalayan mountains. Muhammad, the founder of Islam, is buried in Medina, Saudi Arabia. Joseph Smith, the founder of Mormonism, is buried in Nauvoo, Illinois. Charles Darwin is buried at Westminster Abbey in London. They're all dead and their graves are occupied. Only Jesus proved to be who he said he was by rising from the dead. I want to go ahead and call the worship team up. And I want to conclude by sharing a story with you.
This was a story that I read about or heard about some time ago, and it just stuck with me. And it's about a young girl named Christina. Christina lived in a really poor, broken down neighborhood in Brazil. She couldn't stand it. She was a young girl, and she really wanted to get out and just explore the world like many young girls and guys want to do. And she hated the fact that she only had this pallet on the floor and a water basin to wash herself and this wood-burning stove. That's all they owned. She couldn't stand the fact and she really dreamed of a better life. And so one morning, she wakes up and she makes the decision to go into the big city. And she runs away. And her mom wakes up to find that she's gone and she knows what she's done. And her mom's heart is literally broken into pieces because she knows what is offered on the streets in the big city for a young, beautiful girl like her daughter. And so her mom sets out to find her. And she packs everything that she needs and and she takes off. And on her way to the bus stop, she went to the drugstore to get one last thing, pictures. She closes the curtain of the photo booth and she spends money on several pictures. She throws the pictures in her purse and she goes and she gets on the bus to go to the big city. Mom knew that there was no way for her daughter to make any kind of money on the streets That was good anyways. And she also knew that her daughter was too stubborn to really give up. When pride meets hunger, the human heart will do things that were before unthinkable. And so knowing this, her mom started searching bars and hotels and nightclubs and any place that had a reputation for streetwalkers and prostitutes. And she went to them all. Each place she went, she left her picture taped on a bathroom mirror, tacked to a hotel bulletin board, fastened to a corner phone booth. And on the back of each photo, she wrote a note. And it wasn't long before both her money and all her pictures were gone. And so mom had to head home. And so she gets back on the bus and she sets off on this long journey back to the small town without her daughter, heartbroken, destroyed. And it was a few weeks later, young Christina comes down the hotel room stairs. Her face was tired, her brown eyes no longer danced with youth, but spoke of pain and fear. A thousand times over, she longed to go back home. She would trade anything for that water basin and that small little pallet. But it was way too far. She couldn't do it. She did the unthinkable. She ran away from home. There's no way that mom wants her back. But as she's marching down the stairs, she reached the bottom of the stairs and she notices this familiar face. She looks again And sure enough, there on the lobby mirror was a small picture of her mom. She's blown away. She picks up the picture and she notices that something's written on the back. And so she flips it over 
written on the back was this compelling invitation. And it says, whatever you've done, whatever you've become, it doesn't matter. Please come home. Church, that is the mes- that's the message of the resurrection Jesus. That's the grace of God. Listen, I died and I rose again so that you wouldn't have to die and so that you might have a life that you didn't deserve. And the grace of God says, listen, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've become. I don't care where you've gone. All I want is you home. It's time to come home. That is the message that Jesus is speaking to some of you today. Some of you have walked far from God and that's okay. (laughs) It doesn't intimidate him. He's a little bummed because he loves you and he wants you back. But he's telling you today, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've become. It's time for you to come home. And maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. Maybe you've never really thought about giving your life to Jesus. And today Jesus is speaking to you and you feel him in your heart. I know you do. And he's speaking to you and he's telling you, I don't care what you've done. I don't care what you've made yourself to be. I don't care what people say about you. I only care what I say about you. And that is you're my son. You're my daughter. It's time to come home. And so church, Let's do this together. But if if you want to give your life to the Lord, I just want you to repeat what I say in this prayer. And prayer is not this magical thing that happens, but it is the beginning of something powerful that can happen. And if you want to give your life to the Lord, I just want you to say this prayer with me, but I want the whole church to pray it out loud as a group together. So Father, we thank you. Jesus, thank you for rising from the dead and for giving me life. Thank you for dying on the cross for my sin. Thank you for not condemning me, but for loving me. And I give my life to you this morning and forever. I love you, Jesus. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.